Hi, this is your host, Becky Sanders, and welcome to A Virtual View. Today we're talking with Allie Orwig, Director of the Indiana Telehealth Network. Yeah, I'm a senior director at the Indiana Rural Health Association, but in this specific capacity, I am the director of the Indiana Telehealth Network. So I know the Indiana Telehealth Network started way back in 2008, and we started with critical access hospitals in the state of Indiana. How has the network grown over the past 12 years? Well, the eligible entities have gone from just critical access hospitals to expand to include rural health clinics, community mental health centers, community health centers, uh, nonprofit health providers, essentially in any area, as long as they are rural or part of a consortium, and we are a consortium, so we're able to help non-rural healthcare providers as well, uh, again, as long as they are nonprofit. The FQHCs, which are federally qualified health centers, are sites that we serve quite a few of, and then the final designation that was added a couple years ago are SNFs, S-N-Fs, Skilled Nursing Facilities. And that was the final designation that was added to the program. I would say we work with probably 40 or 50 around the state of Indiana. That, that was, again, the last new eligible entity. I don't suspect they will expand the program anymore, but it definitely expanded the ITN throughout the state far beyond those original 35 critical access hospitals that we started with. You mentioned the word consortium. What does that mean in relationship to this particular program? Sure. So the Indiana Telehealth Network is a consortium within the Healthcare Connect Fund. The Healthcare Connect Fund is a program from the Federal Communications Commission, which provides up to a 65% subsidy, for lack of a better word, for the construction, installation, and monthly recurring fees associated with getting high-speed broadband into those nonprofit rural healthcare providers. Now, any nonprofit rural healthcare provider can apply for the Healthcare Connect Fund but only a consortium, which is a group in more than one individual healthcare provider, only a consortium can include non-rural entities. So there are a lot of benefits to being a consortium, not just the non-rural entities, but as a consortium within Indiana, we have been able to bring together disparate groups. We have a level of expertise that some of our small rural providers maybe would not have the time or um, you know the the funding to pursue on their own we've been able to put a lot of effort into keeping up with the rules keeping up with all of the paperwork and the processes that go into applying for these funds so that's kind of what we offer as a consortium is that one-two punch of being an expert on the Healthcare Connect Fund, and then also opening it up to some of the non-rural, non-profit healthcare providers in the state. So you mentioned paperwork. What kind of paperwork is involved? What are the steps to getting the 65% discounts? Well, paperwork's a decidedly uh, non-technical term for what we do. It's, it's really administrative work. 
but the 40,000 foot view is that we file a form 460 which is the eligibility for each individual site. It's what enrolls you in the program and determines whether your individual site is even allowed to participate. That is both the site, you know, it, whether it's a critical access hospital or an RHC, FQHC, all that alphabet soup, whether the site is eligible on its own based on its designation and then based on its rurality. Again, as an individual, you can participate only if rural and then as part of a consortium if you are non-rural as well, as long as you meet those eligibility requirements. So once we've filed the 460 for you, you move on to the next step, which is the 461. This is considered the request for proposal or bidding stage. That is a form that is required by the Healthcare Connect Fund because you must take bids to participate and be eligible for funding. You can't just be enrolled in the program and then say, well, this is the contract that I have with my local telco and th this is what I wanna use. You, you have to actually go through a bidding process and make sure you're choosing the most cost-effective vendor. And that's another big part of the administrative work that we do. We have an open and fair bidding process for any interested vendors that, that want to provide services. So once the 461 bidding process and request for proposal has passed and our HCP members have chosen their winning vendors, they sign a contract and we move on to the next stage, which is the Form 462. That is where we are actually filing the line items for each individual circuit and service that is requesting funds. This is really kind of an eligibility uh, determination as well, but it's eligibility of each service, not of each site. So once the 462 is submitted, uh, and the 461 and 462 have kind of a narrow window in which all of those things can take place. The 461 has a certain number of days that it must be open, and then the 462 can only be completed during a certain calendar period of the year. But once that 462 has been approved by USAC, which is the Universal Service Administrative Corporation, that's the administrative arm of the FCC, once that 462 has been approved, then we move into the final stage, which is the Form 463. The Form 463 is essentially the invoice reimbursement stage of the program. And that can be anywhere from a 12-month to a three-year process. Uh, depending on what length of contract or what stage of the contract we are in. And that is the portion of the program where we're just working directly with the vendors or the telco providers to file to get that reimbursement back for the healthcare providers. We try to make the process as seamless as possible for our members. This sounds like a lot of work, it absolutely is, but for our members, it should appear very simple, a very easy process. We try to do the lion's share of the administrative work. For our members, it should look like sending me their enrollment information, choosing a winning vendor, signing a contract, and then paying their portion of the bill. Just boom, 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 that simple. And then everything I have described to you is the work that we do on the back end. That does sound very complicated. Uh, I know you guys do a great job with it. <laughs> I did want to pick up on a couple of terms you mentioned. 
make sure our listeners are familiar with them. What is an HCP? Oh, definitely. HCP just refers to health care provider. So that's each individual site that is enrolled in the program. Each HCP or health care provider will have their own unique identifying number within the program. So I'm thinking like uh, I'll use Green County General Hospital. The hospital itself has its own HCP number, but they also own a couple clinics which have their own individual HCP numbers. You know, when we do work for them, the hospital is the overall owner, but each individual site within that ownership will have an HCP number and each HCP has to be enrolled individually. Understood. And then you mentioned vendors and a bidding process. What kind of vendors have you worked with? Various vendors around the state, names that you might recognize, like Comcast, AT&T, Time Warner have all placed bids to provide services in the past. And then some smaller organizations like Smithville, Indiana Fiber Network, which is now Intelligent Fiber Network. Um, Rochester Telco, Perry Spencer Telco, some that get very, very small and very, very local. And then some that, that are national, obviously. We are open to any vendors that want to participate, any telco providers that want to participate can place a bid. We don't have any specific requirements other than you can meet the minimum speeds that we are requesting in the request for proposal. Other than that, you can get all of the information that you need on our website. The RFP document, which is the request for proposal document, is posted publicly and it's posted for 28 days for any interested parties to respond. And what's that website so we can put it in our show notes? Sure. It's the IndianaRuralHealth.org website, which is the website for the Indiana Rural Health Association. And then you would navigate to the Indiana Telehealth Network Services page. And certainly we can get that direct address into the show notes. Great. And then if I'm a vendor, is there a list I can get on to make sure that I get notification of future RFP opportunities? Sure. So there is a public website through USAC that I mentioned earlier where they post all RFPs for you know the entire country, not just Indiana. But I also keep a listserv of vendors that we have been contacted by or that have placed bids in the past. You can reach me at my email address, which is A-O-R-W-I-G at indianarha.org. So aorwig at indianarha.org. And I'd be happy to put you and your organization on my listserv that I alert anytime we have a new RFP hit the streets. That would be great for our listeners. Thank you. So we've talked about vendors and the participants, and it is called the Indiana Telehealth Network. Have you ever worked with HCPs or vendors that are outside of Indiana? We've definitely done some consulting outside of Indiana, and we are happy to work with HCPs outside Indiana, but we also have great relationships with consortiums outside Indiana. So um, the kind of short answer to your question is that's just our name, but we're happy to work with anybody. 
either through consulting, directing you to somebody who's already providing services in your area, or uh, happy to move uh, across the state line for the, the first time and enroll your clinic, hospital, what have you. It's, it's not anything that is bound by state lines at all. We're happy to help anybody. That's great to know. So the other thing that I wanted to follow up on, what are the minimum broadband speeds that you put into an RFP? We highly suggest, and in our last RFP, actually wrote in a bare minimum of 10 meg up and down. If somebody could come to me and make a case for why they felt that they wanted five and it was the only thing that would work for them, um, I guess I wouldn't tell you no flat out, but I would not do anything less than five. I would put my foot down at five and you would probably really need to to be able to tell me why you thought five was more appropriate than 10. And frankly, depending on what you're wanting to do, 10 is probably the basement of what I'm going to suggest to anybody anyway. What's the average internet speed or broadband speed for an ITN member? Honestly, I don't recall the last time I had somebody... Well, that's not true. I have one clinic that I just renewed for a 10 meg internet connection in Southern Indiana, but they're very close to their hospital. Most people are doing 50 or 100 at this point with a few of the larger hospitals doing one gig, but 50 is probably the norm and people are starting to trend towards 100. Then we've got a, a good portion of people doing 200 and 300 meg but yeah 50 and 100 are are very very common so with these speeds you mentioned renewing someone when a hcp renews do they normally up their bandwidth speed i wouldn't say normally without getting too much into the weeds when we have people sign contracts we typically do a three-year contract with the option to renew that contract uh, one year at a time for up to five years without doing a rebid and that is allowed in the Healthcare Connect Fund program. Most of the time, people will take advantage of those renewals, but I would say probably one out of every four sites is at some point during the those, you know, eight years total, you know, three years of the original contract plus five, doing an upgrade at some point. We allow for upgrades in our contract, so that's not too big of a deal, but the upgrade that is undertaken will vary. But yeah, over eight years, I would say most people are either doing an upgrade at some point or they're just going in for a a total new rebid. So it's a little bit difficult to answer your question directly because some people will just opt to do a rebid as opposed to an upgrade during the the renewal process. Mm -hmm. So the pricing, if they do an upgrade, does it have to go back to whatever the bid was when it was first bid? So if you're doing an upgrade, the pricing either has to stay the same 
which does happen sometimes if it has been several years since you locked in that original contract. I know that has happened occasionally. I'll have somebody go from 50 to 100 meg, but they signed the contract five years ago and the telco is willing to just say, yeah, the, the price would be negligible. You know, we're offering 100 meg at the same price we used to offer 50 meg. We'll just bump you up. Or the funding amount that has already been allotted to you will just cover a fewer number of months. So if you think about it this way, if you're allotted $100 a month for a 50 meg connection and you have that for a whole year, that would be $1,200. Well, now you want to bump up to a 100 meg connection and that's going to cost $200 a month. Well, now you would only have enough funding for six months. You still only have $1,200 approved in the program, but your fees are going to be $200 a month. So now you can only cover six months of funds, but you still have the funds. Hopefully that, that makes sense. My little yeah. off the cuff math problem. <laughs> no, it does. It makes sense. So is that a situation where it really is in their best entrance to rebid? It depends on how badly you need the speed and where we are in the calendar year. If we're close to the funding window, I would tell you hold off and let's do a rebid. If we're very far from the funding window and your speeds are crashing your network and you need it right now, I would say let's go ahead and you're just going to have to find a way to, to fund you know, the, the additional six months that you're not going to be able to cover with HCF funds. Mm -hmm. So what is the funding window? Currently, the window to apply, to take bids and apply, is January 4th through April 1st. But the funding date start is July 1st. So the, the funding year runs July 1 through June 30th. But the window to apply for the upcoming funding year is Ju January 4th through April 1st. So the window for July 1st, 2021 will close on April 1st, 2021. Gotcha. So this year, you know, we're recording this in the in December 2020, but it probably won't be published until 2021. The year of 2020 is kind of going to be known as the year of COVID. How has COVID affected this program? Oh, that's a good question. I think this program has seen just some delays in people getting their funding commitment letters from applications that were put in in the spring. I fully expect everyone to still get those letters, maybe not as quickly as they would have liked them. But there was a large pot of funding released by the FCC specifically to deal with COVID. It was a wholly separate program from the HCF, but it was administered by that same group that I mentioned, USAC. So I know they had quite a workload dumped on them that they were not expecting. So I think that may have caused some delays in processing. As far as the Healthcare Connect Fund directly and the ITN, I don't know that we've had any major issues other than people maybe 
moving workers home and starting to do more telehealth. So there may have been more people realizing that they needed to up their speeds or, you know, just really considering how this program has been beneficial and has really helped support their bottom line by keeping their costs reasonable. Yeah, I would expect that. For the special COVID funds, did anyone in the Indiana Telehealth Network take advantage of those? Oh, yeah, several. Several of our members apply. Well, more than several of our members applied, but there were absolutely, I think, at least five or six hospitals and community mental health centers that I saw directly in Indiana that we have worked with that applied and were funded. I know several, several members reached out to me because of those HCP numbers I mentioned at the top of the hour. Anybody that wanted to apply for the COVID funding had to file 460s or already had to have 460s filed for them. Well, anybody that had participated with the ITN or had participated in the HCF previously already had those numbers available. So I was able to pull the HCP numbers for all of our members that requested them, and they were a leg up on everybody else and getting their applications in because they had already been enrolled and already had numbers assigned. Well, that's very positive. Now, that COVID funding, they had to use those for kind of like a buying equipment or helping. I'm trying to remember what the words were. Do you remember? Not off the top of my head. Uh, We were in the middle of our funding window for the applications for the HCF when they came out. And we were able to help, you know, provide the HCP numbers, but we did not assist in the COVID applications. I could pull that for you and we could put it in the show notes. I do expect there to be more COVID funding. You know, we're, we're hearing every day uh, they're making progress in Washington on getting more funding around, and there's probably going to be another pot of COVID telehealth funding this spring or sometime soon. So definitely something that people should keep their eye on, but I I don't recall exactly what the requirements are. Yeah, we'll get that in the show notes. What was the longest fiber route that had to be run for the Indiana Telehealth Network? Oh, man. Um, Gosh, that would have been back in the day under the pilot program. Um, I know we did we did that big build under the Wabash River is probably one of our greatest success stories. I don't know that that was our longest route, but in Williamsport, Indiana, to get fiber into the town, there had to be a build literally under the Wabash River, and it was going to be in excess of a million dollars just to do the build. That was a cost that the city and the hospital would never have been able to bear on their own. But through the pilot program, which is the precursor to the Healthcare Connect Fund and a partnership with their local economic development group, they were able to fund that build and bring fiber to the hospital. And then, of course, as a result of that, to the whole city. And that was really the exact point of the program to get fiber to these healthcare providers that would never have been able to do it on their budget by themselves and really foster those public-private partnerships. So back in the pilot program phase, the subsidy was actually 85%, and they only had to come up with a 15% match, right? Correct. 
Correct. Under the Healthcare Connect Fund, it dropped to 65%. And if the funding cap is ever exceeded, then there is a proration, uh, a prorata factor that would be applied to any subsidies, which is why I always try to say up to 65% subsidy available, just in case we ever exceed that cap. It did happen once. There was a small proration factor several years ago, but since that time, the FCC has always been able to find additional funds or, you know, move the funding pots around to make sure that everything has been fully funded. All right. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. I really appreciate all the information. I hope it's useful to our listeners. So we'll get together some websites from Allie and make sure we put those in the show notes so that our listeners can do some additional research on these particular programs that we've mentioned here today. So again, this is Becky Sanders with A Virtual View. And thank you, Allie, so much for being on with us today and talking about the Indiana Telehealth Network. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. I want to thank you for listening to A Virtual View. I've been your host, Becky Sanders. You can find more information about today's episode in the show notes below. If you would like to support our podcast, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Do you have a topic you'd like us to discuss? If so, leave us a review with your idea or contact us at info at umtrc.org. Also, I'd like to give a special thanks to Josh Rodriguez and Francis Fitzgerald for scoring our podcast. And I'd be remiss if I didn't thank our editor, Caroline Yoder, who's been the brains behind making this idea of mine come to fruition. I couldn't have done it without her. Finally, a special thanks to the Health Resources and Service Administration, also known as HRSA. Our podcast series, A Virtual View, is sponsored in part by HRSA's Telehealth Resource Center program, which is under the Federal Office of Rural Health Policy and the Office for Advancement of Telehealth. The content and conclusions of this podcast are those of Becky Sanders as the Program Director of the UMTRC and should not be construed as the official policy or position of, nor should any endorsements be inferred by, HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government. Thanks for listening and have a great day.